0: Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. So so Dim, what are the kids gonna be for Halloween?
1: Oh, geez, we're we're ramping up to the big Halloween. the ween. Um, oh, well Amelia actually, so she is a huge, huge Project Runway fan. I mean huge. Like they just went to um they Los Angeles, yeah. Grant and my kids. Oh. Yep. Um, just went to Los Angeles to visit his family, and um, they went to Mood. Oh, which they did is the not fabrics. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they got they got fabric. Amelia got fabric, and then Grant, who is a very good seamstress, got fabric to make some holiday pants for himself. So,
0: oh my god. watch
1: out! They, uh, it's gonna, that's gonna be a sight. But anyway, so she's been inspired by Project Runway. So we kind of poked together um, around the internet looking for DIY costumes, and settled on a pinata. So, she's, oh. so she got a dress at um, Goodwill, just like a basic kind of you know dress, and uh, and then some streamers from Party City, and she really did it up. I mean, I should send you a picture of it. Yeah. It was really, really – she did a great job, and it was a huge time eater too, which was great for like the weekends. Like, I'm so bored. What should I do? I'm like, go work on your dress. <laughs> so she's going to be a pinata, and then she made um, – candy like necklaces out of sixlets kept the kept them in the wrapper so she's got this cool kind of multi-layered necklace and then like bracelets out of like milky ways and twix kept in the wrappers um so it's wow. it, it was pretty creative I, I give her major props for that That's probably the best costume she's ever had cool. meanwhile on the other end of the spectrum we've got um ben being cheese man which is basically like a, uh, you know wearing one of those foam cheese heads Mm -hmm. you know popular Popular country yeah Mm -hmm. um and some yellow pants and he has a cape uh, that we tried to iron on letters that said cheese man but the it just didn't work and um I don't know, some cheese socks. I don't know. He's, he's got this whole thing with cheese. So it's yeah. fine. It's original and it didn't cost much. So I'm, I'm down with it.
0: <laughs> what
1: about you? What are your kids being?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I want to, I mainly asked you the question because I wanted to be able to talk about what John's going to be because he is in love with what he's going to be, which is he's going to be Ariana Grande. And yeah. And so John loves Ariana Grande. I think I might've said on the podcast that one of my regrets of this year is that I did not buy Ariana Grande tickets. They were being sold like on Groupon for her concert here in Portland. I should have just taken the plunge, taken him. And so, um, so he, we were trying desperately to find a wig because John has just a short, um, kind of, you know, stereotypical 1950s boys haircut. Um, N- nothing that could be construed to be pulled into a high ponytail. So um, he was just wanting so desperately to go to a wig store. So finally, I called a wig store and was asking them, and then, oh yeah, a wig, a wig that could do that is fifty dollars. I'm like, yeah, honey, you're not getting a wig. <laughs> so, um, so found you can buy kind of a clip-on high pony that is, you know, a-, a la Ariana Grande. And the reason that I finally went with that notion is because I talked to two different people, including um, a couple women at the place where we get our T-shirts printed. And I was saying, oh, but his hair's so short, it's going to look, I mean, I'm going to have to like glue it onto the back of his head. It's going to look so lame. And they're like, this woman, I didn't even know they have all these cubicles. She like bursts up like a gopher. It's like, no, that's the best part. (laughs) <laughs> so um what's the best part that to have him have that short hair and then this luxurious oh, high pony okay. yeah oh, okay. so um so and then phoebe his 13 and a half year old sister um they went to the mall together and then they went to goodwill to get him um a tank top and Uh, black skirt, and he got some really actually really cute little shoes um, at Goodwill. And then we're going to, um, I guess, one of Ariana Grande's kind of better known outfits is this um, sleeveless dress that's black and white, very geometric kind of squares. And so I'm like, oh, we'll get some white felt and we'll put it onto this black stuff you have and uh, don't even have to cut them practically. And um, so because John is very comfortable in his um, fluid uh, gender. Um,
1: yeah, he... Gender, yeah he, he can go
0: either way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. he, um, oh my gosh. And he, j- I mean like, he's just, he's a tiny kid, you know, you know him and, and he's just super muscular, but very skinny, super muscular. So him in that tank top last night, cause he was prancing around the house in it. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh! Like women would kill to have that back that he has, like with all the like, you know, totally ripped back. <laughs> so, um, so we are a little worried that he's going to be chilly. So um, uh, we're thinking maybe, legons. Uh, legons. maybe some leggings, arm warmers, um, yeah. Or we were thinking kind of, you know, those furry coats that are all the rage right now that are kind of kind of minty colors. You yeah, they're that, that so we're thinking. I'm going to find out this was just this plane got hatched last night at about nine. Um, see if Daphne wants one, because then I could buy it, you know, like at forever 21 or whatever he could wear it Halloween and then she could wear it for the rest of, you know, to school or wherever one wears that thing. Yes.
1: And what are your girls being?
0: Oh, so, um, Phoebe changed her mind last night. Um, she's going to be a blue care bear And then Daphne, she's still sort of thinking about, she was going to be a princess cat. And um, now she definitely has the princess dress. She borrowed it from a friend. It's actually a super cute pink dress. um, And so she's kind of deciding what she wants to be. But um, this morning I was running with Molly and she said that her middle daughter is going to be Taylor Swift. And um, that girl's best friend is gonna dress up as selena gomez i'm like oh i need to get them together with john yeah no, doubt.
2: no
0: <laughs> doubt so and i think john is maybe the same height as ariana grande we he and i when we were out in sisters at, the, i was out in um, sisters oregon at the happy girls half marathon and he and i watched a bunch of youtube together and one was her being on a um, jimmy fallon sketch and she came out and she is just pocket-sized. She's so tiny. So, I don't know. He might just be able to pull it off. Who knows?
1: Oh, I think you can. I think you can. Yeah, we need some pictures of that for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, well, have
1: you decided what you're going to give out for treats?
0: Oh, have to. I realized today I'm like, oh, gotta go shopping. So, um, and we have, um, Jack finally finished the front porch. Um, Good. Yes, and we got some furniture on it, including, um, a fire pit, like a that's a table that has a, um, propane, f- you know, flame that you take. Sure. This, um, and so he's all excited to sit out there and dispense candy. We don't get a lot of trick or treaters because we're on a somewhat busy street, but. But maybe if people know that you know the the main characters from Grimm live down the street, they'll just be children lining the street. I don't know.
1: <laughs> maybe. Well, and I have to say, Saturday night as the as Halloween, I think changes the tone totally. Oh. Right? It's not a school night anymore. It's mm-hmm. not. You know. I mean, I guess was it? It must have been Friday night last year, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about a Saturday night Halloween. You know, kind of uh,
0: brings out the spooks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The stakes and, and the are crowds. high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, good. Well, uh, not, not, we're not going to talk about candy on today's show. We're going to talk about a little bit healthier meal, um, but still family-focused. Um, dinner, our guest is Jenny Rosenstrack. She is the founding editor of a fantabulous website called Dinner, A Love Story. And Jenny is the author of two New York Times best-selling books, Dinner, the Playbook, and Dinner, A Love Story. And our paths first crossed with Jenny, kind of vaguely. We crossed paths with her, when she was an editor at Real Simple, And she also worked at Bon Appetit and Martha Stewart Living. And we're delighted to learn Jenny is a mother runner of two school-aged daughters, and she and her family live in Dobbs Ferry, New York. But before we bring on Jenny, we are going to take a short break to hear from one of our partners. Jenny, thanks
2: so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So tell us about your running, you know, how long you've been a runner, how often you run, and good stuff like that.
2: I have been running ever since I was in high school, maybe a sophomore. Um, and I started running as a way to sort of get in shape in between, uh, tennis season and lacrosse season. Um, and I, I was a big athlete as a kid and unfortunately I'm no longer playing lacrosse or, or tennis. <laughs> <But> honestly... No <laughs> lacrosse in your life. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know sport for a lifetime, right? Well, tennis apparently is too, but, um, I just, I was very into tennis as a kid and I just kind of got tired of it. So, but I've, I, I, I've run, I would say, until maybe a couple months ago, my standard run was about two and a half or three miles. And then something happened, some some switch flipped. Um, I read I read a, a book by Haruki Murakami on running, and my daughter um, is who is 13 and almost 14 is on the cross country team. And I think a combination of these factors kind of got me to fall back in love with running again. So whereas for the last you know 30 years, <laughs> 25 years, I've been kind of seeing it as a slog. Now I've kind of, um, you know, found the romance in it again, which is really nice.
1: That's great. Was, did you, um, is it what I think about when I think about running? Is that the book you
2: read? Yes. It was actually published in 2008. So it took me a while to come around to it.
1: But Yeah, no, but, that's such it. a good book. I love that book. Um, I remember just like almost dog-earing every page because I was like, I want to remember that. I want to write that down. I want to remember that's, that.
2: That's what happened to me. And we actually bought it for my daughter, the cross country runner and I just uh-huh. kind of grabbed it when she was done and thought I would read a page or two and it was one of those things that completely I couldn't believe how motivating it was and he's also obviously a critically acclaimed novelist and yes. so <laughs> he's got some writing you know, skills in addition yeah, to running skills so he knows well, how he's... to talk about that and it's just so interesting to have someone with um, you know, that kind of writing ability, right. Taking on running. And since I'm a writer and a runner, it just was particularly resonant. So, yeah. So you've I, signed up for a marathon now, huh? Uh, <laughs> not quite, but, but, oh, <laughs> but I'm afraid to even say this, but I think I'm going to do a half marathon in, in, uh, December. So I've been, I just haven't pressed the button yet, but I'm close. So, oh,
0: nice, uh, one out, so e- yeah. one out East, or are you going to travel somewhere for it?
2: Um, I do did a half marathon actually a long time ago before I had kids um, in Kiwa Island, South Carolina, mm-hmm. which which I loved because it was all flat. I mean, there was literally not a single incline in the entire. <laughs> and, it's, and it's sea level,
0: literally sea level. Yeah,
2: so it, so that seems like just about the right uh, level for me right now in my life.
0: Nice.
1: <laughs> right. so, so is that are you going to go back and do that one again?
2: I think so. Yeah. That's oh, what I'm, that's, that's, that's my um, in-laws have a house down there. So it's easy for us to just go and, and stay there. So I, we're, we're planning on going that weekend. The question is, I just haven't, you know, again, I haven't <laughs> clicked that button yet, but I, I think I'm going there. So <laughs> I don't want to say up, this. Denny,
1: after now. we hang up, man, I'm going to shot your active.com page for that's us. All right. Right.
0: right. Well, that's awesome. Also, then you can have a, um, a pre-kids PR and a post-kids PR. So, you know, you're going to, you're definitely going to set a record for yourself.
2: (laughs) I I, I hadn't thought about that, but yes, that sounds like a good, a good idea.
0: (laughs) So you and your husband, Andy, seem very compatible in the kitchen. Do you ever run together?
2: We do run together, but I really can't stand it because he's (laughs) so much faster than me and he can't understand the fact that I'm slower than him. So he doesn't really have a lot of tolerance for it so i am always like hanging back and he he has this thing called no four feet because I'm always four feet behind him so he's like <laughs> no four feet no four feet and and he just can't grasp the concept that I can't keep up with him but he so his logic is that if I remain four feet behind him the whole time why can't I just remain right next to him whereas you know I'm like I can barely talk at that pace so um so it's it's you know I can't qu- I haven't quite hammered out the details on why <laughs> on, on on how his logic is actually faulted but I know somewhere deep inside it is. So I prefer to run by myself now.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, I like, I like the stories because I have tried many times, not many times, a handful of times to run with my husband, and we finally did on vacation. We ran probably three or four times together, um, compatibly, but – we probably exchanged five sentences on those four runs total. <laughs> like I was like, okay, you know what? Like, we're, this is not going to be a chatty girl run, but at least I, you're next to me and that's something, right? I and, uh, totally. You know, you will run my pace. So I, know, I love too. that.
2: I do just in general like to run by myself. Just um, I've tried to do sort of the girl chatty runs too. And I, I you uh-huh. know, there's a place for that too, but I am probably not the first person to say this on the podcast, but I, I just think about running as a time to be by myself and let my mind wander a little I don't even really listen to um, the radio or music. I, I really use it as a time to unplug.
0: That's awesome. Listen to the radio, listen to you. That's (laughs) (laughs)
2: kind of like 1986. Yeah, you don't
0: bring your Walkman with you,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but I do. uh, When I say the radio, I am just to in my defense, I used to every now and then listen to Pandora radio, you know. So,
0: okay, all right, okay, (laughs)
2: Spotify, that kind of radio. Sorry, I should should update my lingo here. Yes,
0: you just didn't want to give a shout out to a specific brand. That's very good of you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right, that's
1: right. (laughs) I remember the days of listening. I mean, I used to listen to like the top 40, right? Like on a Sunday morning, go for a run and be like, okay, well, you know, and I would get so mad at the commercials. So <laughs> that was the radio. Um, so so Jenny, do you see many parallels between running and home cooking?
2: I do. Actually, that's so funny that you asked that because I hadn't even thought about this in preparation. But I find that um, with running, when I... You know, I've always been a runner, but I would say when I became, the the moment I became a regular runner, a consistent runner was after college. And it was actually my husband's uh, philosophy and it worked, was instead of forcing myself to run as much as possible, you know, to run every single day of the week or try to do it every day of the week, it was just to run every other day. Just, let's just try to run more days than not, you know, so out of seven days, run four days. And somehow just knowing that every day I would run, I'd have the next day off. Psychologically, it just helped me um, with the long game. And so with dinner, I kind of feel like it's the same thing, you know, like we all put all this pressure on ourselves to get something, you know, perfect on the table every single night, or just even get to the dinner table every single night. And of course, that should be you know the the that's the bar we would like to set for ourselves but it doesn't mean we need to reach it every single day and i think as soon as you sort of give yourself a little bit of a break and you say you know what i'm not going to make the the you know the chicken cutlets the homemade chicken cutlets with with the roasted broccoli and the potatoes tonight i'm going to just take a pizza from the freezer and I'm going to make a, I'm going to serve my kids pizza and not think about it and not feel guilty. I think that helps with the long game. You know, it's not, it's, if you know you have to just, if, if, if someone said to you, you have to cook dinner from scratch every single night for the rest of your life. Oh my God, I would, I would just, the enjoyment would be sucked right out of it immediately for me. So, so that's, that's where I sort of see the parallel. Kind of pacing yourself. Well, I like that. And then I also like, you have a lot of um, great instructions
1: in your book, dinner, the playbook about, Prepping and planning and like almost more, I mean, you have a lot of great recipes as well, but I, you know, half the book is seriously, I mean, the best, especially about the prepping and prepping in the morning yes. or the weekend. And I just think like that really hit home for me because I do start almost every day at like five o'clock from scratch. And, and you say, you know, you're tired, you're, you're, you're your pre-work and your post-work mood are so fundamentally different. Oh, and your energy God. levels, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wrote this in the book, but I think the way you see your refrigerator at five o'clock or six o'clock, whenever you're coming home from work, and the way you see it in the morning, you know, it, they're two totally different refrigerators. You know, in the morning, <laughs> when you actually have. Uh, you know, some time to think about it. And, you know, it's all like rainbows and unicorns. You're like, Oh my God, there's so many things in here. And then at night you just want, all you want to do is just, you know, it's the opposite. You just, it's, it's, it's cobwebs and um, <laughs> cobwebs
1: and cucumbers rotting in the, in the, in the vegetable drawer. Right. And you're like, okay, pizza,
2: pizza. <laughs> I know exactly. And it's nice to have that option. Um, but no, I'm a big fan of, um, of prepping. And it, it's a funny story about the book is that I, I actually wrote this whole chapter, you know, how to get started on planning fa- a regular family meal. And I wrote that whole section on, you know, step one, um, pick the times, you know, you want, you, your family can do it this week. So you know ex- that your whole family will be there. You know, number two, go shopping for the week, make a list, all these, you know, strategies for for making it happen, you know, prep something in the morning, prep something on the weekend. And I turned it into my editor. And she said, her comment on that chapter was, what about the eating? <laughs> and she was right. You know, like, I, it's it's kind of, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for dinner haters, but, you know, so much, so much of dinner happens before you sit down to dinner, like, just in terms of the think work. And that doesn't mean that it has to be on your mind all day long. It just means that you have to sort of pick a few key moments during the week to think about it. So... Well, and
1: it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like with your running, you kind of got on autopilot, right? And that's kind of the mentality that you have to think of, like shift to for dinner planning, right? It's not like, yes, the first couple of weeks are going to feel really like kind of awkward and forced and like, oh, this feels weird. And I'm thinking about dinner at, you know, 930 a.m. instead of 530 when I usually do. But then eventually you get into a pattern and you're like, you look at a runner and you're like, you run four miles a day. How do you do that? Where yeah. I look at you and I'm like, you make dinner six days a week. How do you do that?
2: You know? Um, do, you run, do you run four miles a day? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I <just love> <laughs> um, but no, I agree. And I also agree that with, like, with running, I've gotten to the point where it's like a preventative thing because I know that if I don't run, I'm going to feel just kind of rotten. And so with dinner... It feels like the same thing now. I just feel like we need that time so much in our house because we're, like all families, we're busy and you know we're all going in different directions. And I've come to rely on that window of time as my my time with my kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and even though, you know, I have flexible hours, I work from home, I'm a writer, I have a very nice setup. And yet I still feel like I have no meaningful interactions with my kids until I sit down. And maybe that's because I know it's there. And, and I don't make a big point to, you know, to force any big issues. I, I, I never do at the table either, actually. But, but I don't know, I just feel like it's, it's, if I don't do it, and, and, Even more heartwarming is I think even my kids feel that way too, you know, when we're, when we do go out, if we're, you know, if we have plans and, and it's just the two of them um, or a babysitter, they, I can tell that they get a little disappointed, which, you know, which is nice. So, um, but I do kind of feel like I need that time to unwind with them as much as I need a run to feel just kind of psychologically healthy you know, or good about the psychological health of my family, I guess I should say. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So. Okay.
0: So, so I am a a record keeper for um, workouts and I love that you kept a diary of every single thing you've eaten for dinner since February 22nd, 1998, um, which let me do the math for folks. That's more than 17 years. Um, (laughs) Do you bring the same level of meticulous detail to recording your workouts?
2: No, I do not, and I, I used to, and I think that sort of had, I, I felt like it made a difference when I stopped. I used to, you know, when I just kept sort of a, my calendar in on paper, I would just do a little R on the days that I ran with the amount of miles that I did. And then once we went to digital, you know, calendarizing, I kind of lost track of that, and I really um, felt like it affected the way I I. I, I don't know, I just, I could never really have a handle on how much I did every week. And I couldn't really look back and just kind of say, should I do more next week or less or whatever. And so just but recently, with this surge of running, I've, I've discovered my run, you know, I'm like 10 years late to the party here. But, <laughs> um, but I, I just can't believe how how fantastic that app is for just pushing me more and for not just recording, but just kind of the whole, the whole package. I never used to care how fast I would run a mile. And now I find myself kind of working harder to just get that, you know, to, to, to get that mile split that I like. So it's uh, it's fun. We need
0: to introduce you to Strava, which is our um, record keeper of choice. We have a and another mother runner club on there, so you can get kudos from from people you know who are halfway across the country, or um, and you can kind of uh, I don't know. It's an interesting way to keep stats and stay motivated. That I think you might I, like.
2: I so. follow them on Instagram, but I never quite knew what they were. That's good oh, to know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll. I'll. <laughs> <laughs> I just like their pictures a lot. They,
1: they are have good excited. pictures. They're they're very good uh, <laughs> photographers. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Makes you feel more professional. Um, okay, so your book, Dinner the Playbook, and website, Dinner a Love Story, are loaded with insights and truths like family dinner is a mindset. And once you get comfortable with the idea of not doing it, the harder it becomes to make it happen. Right. Um, we've talked about this a little bit, but, but, but just, just discuss this mindset a little bit, please.
2: Well, I guess it's more of just what we were talking about before that uh, you know if you if you sort of wait for the stars to align every single night then dinner's just never going to happen and um you know I, in the Haruki Murakami book to go back to running he said you know if I if I used busyness as an excuse not to run every day I would never run you know so it's sort of the same thing with with dinner if you just feel like um you know uh, you get so addicted to the feeling of of having something good to eat every day, and it's just something that you made with your own hands and giving it to your children on the most primal level, I just find it incredibly satisfying. And so, you know, just in terms of getting into the mindset, though, there's only one way to get into the mindset. And that's just to sort of force yourself to do it. And, um, and I think the problem is that a lot of people think that it's, um, you know, they have to, they have to do everything all at once. Whereas, you know, I like to say there's kind of four steps to, to making it happen. And, you know, the the first thing most important is, is sitting down together, you know, no matter what the heck you're eating, just like time is the biggest obstacle for, for families I hear over and over again. And so that's level one, just sit down together, however many, however long it takes you to just get into that rhythm, train yourself to do that. And then the next level is sitting down together, and then maybe making something homemade, you know, like, um, like a pasta with, with, um, you know, broccoli and sausages, like a very basic Kind of meal that's healthy and also can be sort of deconstructed, so that if there's a picky kid at the table, they won't eat the broccoli, they won't eat the sausage, they won't pasta. Everyone can sort of have a combination of what they want, and and I go into those kinds of meals a lot in my book. But then the next level is to sort of sit down to something that everyone likes. You know, sitting, you know, finding the time, making something from scratch, and then and then kind of trying to zero in on your repertoire of meals that you don't have to sort of customize to make every single kid at the table or every person at the table happy. Um, and then the next level, and this is like sort of where I feel like people get stumped a lot, is, you know, there's so much discussion. The, the conversation about food now has been elevated so much. And we're bombarded with all these messages about, you know, um, everything has to be local, sustainable, organic, uh, you know, and and I mean, not necessarily it has to be, but you just, it's, it's very hard not to hear that conversation and i think if you start making dinner if you start the family dinner ritual by thinking every meal has to have has to be at that level then it's you know you're 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 destined to fail as as i would be if i had to cook like that every night and you know certainly i try to but but i think if you can sort of just—I don't know how long it takes each person individually to to get to that level, if at all—but I think it's important to just sort of remember that there's, you know, you can you can do a lot in, um, you know, you can you can be satisfied in a dinner mindset at a lot of different levels and and, and be happy. Does that make sense? So yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it makes sense absolutely.
1: I think yeah, I mean that's what I think, especially the same again the parallel between running. People think, oh, well, I've got to go run a half marathon or a marathon to be a runner. Right. Or, you know, I need to make a, a meal that has, you know, four things from scratch in it in order to be a, quote, unquote, a real dinner. When, in fact, you know, you've got, you know, a whole wheat pizza in a pan, you know, as one of your recipes. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be – it can be two or three miles and that's still a runner. And, you know, and pizza, you know, made from scratch is still a dinner, right? Right, um, of course. And I just think that you sometimes we have these unrealistic
0: expectations.
2: Yes, D- I totally
0: agree. Tim, I'm thinking of you, your phrase um, – doesn't always have to be good. It has to be, you know, it can be good enough.
1: Good enough. Absolutely. Good
2: enough. Yes. And perfect is the enemy of good. That's the other one I hear a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us about Operation 30 Days, which kickstarted Dinner the Playbook.
2: Operation 30 Days was something I invented um, when my kids were little. um, I would say five and three. um, And now they're, they're 13 and 11. Um, but I started it because my husband and I, Andy's my husband, but Andy and I were very into cooking before we had kids. And then as, as tends to happen when the kids came along, it kind of exploded our whole idea of what cooking a good dinner was. And, um, we sat down together every night, but we just sort of, we had the same things over and over and over again. We had turkey burgers and pasta, um, back when my, my 13-year-old ate pasta. She doesn't anymore. Um, We had just very bland foods night after night. And and we just, you know, for people, for two people who really love to eat and love to cook, it was hard for us. And we decided that as much for our sake as for our kids' sake, that we wanted to cook something new every single night for 30 straight days. And this was when we were both working full time. Um, and I just really wanted to figure out how to make it happen. Um, and I thought a boot camp was kind of what the family needed. So it was, it was an adventure. And um, I would say out of the 30 meals that we made, maybe six of them or seven of them are are still in our rotation in any way and you know the the rules were that they had to try a bite of everything they didn't have to like it all but they had to try a bite and and for the most part they did and you know there were certainly complaints but and there were a lot of rules that I lay lay out in the book too but but I think what ended up happening which was so wonderful and I hadn't counted on this at all was that they Developed their, we, I call it their adventure muscles, where you know they sort of were had been in this mindset where they approached the table. They knew it was going to be chicken cutlets, pasta, turkey burgers, or whatever. They had sort of their repertoire of meals, and then when we went, we told them about this adventure. We called it. We we just decided, um, you know, they they approached the table as if something new was going to be there every time, and so they didn't know what to expect. And I think. This you know this eight, nine years later, they still kind of approach the table that way. I mean, obviously, there are meals that they love and, and request over and over, and they're not happy with every single thing we make. But for the most part, they have open minds when they sit down at the table. And I think I hadn't counted on that at all. And I thought that was just a very happy result and ended up being really helpful just sort of going, um, you know, going forward. So I have I have some pretty picky
1: eaters in my house, and um, I mean the idea of turkey burgers—it sounds like we're you know I'm going to feed them foie gras or something like that, <laughs> like, <laughs> is, you know. So um, so I'm just curious, and so my kids are now nine and twelve. Like, have you had any experience with like? I realize that that's not you know old old, but you know they're not like oh we're going to go on a tour of the adventure explorer and you know check out what you know spaghetti with meatballs tastes like. You know it's um, so I'm just wondering if you've heard feedback from older kids that might be a little bit more skeptical and not as, you know, you talk a little bit about bribery and not in a bad way, but just like, Hey, let's try this. And then, and then you get to pick out where you want to eat one, one day, you know?
2: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't – I should preface this by saying that my younger daughter at the time was extremely picky. And she was the reason why we only had a few bland meals in our repertoire because, you know, you're always feeding basically – you're cooking to the weakest link. And she was the weakest. The, <laughs> the most lowest common channel. denominator, right? Know, yeah. was, yeah. We call them lowest common denominator dinners because that's what, that's what they felt like. And she didn't like anything. And she actually – you know, at the time, she should we were really worried about her eating in general because she's she just wasn't gaining enough weight. And so we really kind of felt like we needed to do something kind of drastic to reverse that as well. So, you know, it, it did it solve every single one of her eating issues? No, of course not. But, um, but you know, they still have major aversions to I mean, one of them doesn't like pasta, which is crazy. and. <laughs> The other one, neither of them likes eggs. And I kind of feel like those are two real staples, like sort of for fast, easy dinners in most mm-hmm. families' houses. So that to me, like a scrambled egg, is like my foie gras, you know. So I think every family has their own foie gras. It's all – it's it's sort of, you know, what's exotic to some is, is just basic to others. And I think you just have to keep on – Trying to expose kids to different things in hopes that maybe they'll you can demystify these things a little bit. Although in my case, <laughs> eggs don't seem to ever ever be on the horizon, so we'll see. Uh, so I love that
0: you have seven rules for helping take the fight out of family meals, and we especially loved the suggestion that you recruit the phrase "I don't know yet." Yes,
2: that's, that's a good one. I
0: just thought that was brilliant, you know, when your kids ask you what you're making, that you say, I don't know yet. And I just envision you standing there at the stove, you know, <laughs> cooking it. <laughs> I just imagine them being like, but mom, it's in the pan. What
2: is it? <laughs> so. It's amazing what you can trick a kid into doing at that age. I don't think I can get away with that anymore. But, but the idea is, just to explain, is that I think I really want to keep dinner my big philosophy and this is why my blog is called dinner a love story my big philosophy is to try to make the dinner a happy place you know as as pleasant an experience as possible and I I, you know I realize there are so many parents listening to that rolling their eyes but but I do feel like that's why I don't listen to any of the experts when they say only make one meal don't cater to your kid I'm so happy to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my kid if she's not eating the you know the thing that that everyone else is eating just if it means that I don't have to fight. And if I mean, I know she'll try something the next night. I don't, it, it doesn't bother me. And, and so the, I don't know yet the philosophy came about because I found that when I was trying something new and I think the first time I used it was when I was making a butternut squash soup. I just knew in my heart that they, these kids, their crushes, their souls would be crushed as soon as they saw, you know, that soup on the table. And so I, when I'm I'm literally you know using the immersion blender in the pot, <laughs> and my daughter comes up to me. What are you doing? What are you making? What's for dinner? And I just didn't want to tell her, even though it was right there. She wasn't tall enough to see, thankfully. But <laughs> but I said, you know, I'm not sure yet. Um, there will be bread. <laughs> there will be something, <laughs> something, you know, so that she could at least have something familiar to latch herself onto. But I just, if I had told her, then what would have happened was, you know, dinner was still. Probably a half an hour away. She would have had a half an hour to really kind of think about it, dread it, put herself it.
1: up into a tizzy. That's what my yeah. kids do.
2: I mean, they yeah. literally ask me
1: when I walk. Uh, I pick them up from school, and it's not "Hi, mom. How was your day?" or anything. What's for dinner? I mean, oh really, we're walking back to the car, and I'm just like, I don't know yet. Yeah, I don't know yet. And the other right. one, the other philosophy that um, I've read about, and you and you and you've said already that um, you know that they had to try a bite. But the other thing is, it's just out here. You don't have to eat it. You know, but just by having that food on the table and having us eat it, maybe they'll try it too. I mean, do you buy into that at all or do you feel like it's important to make them try it I
2: I totally buy into the exposure argument that um, the more you expose your kids to something, no matter how you're exposing them to it, you know, whether it's um, just you – Eating it in front of them, or just it being on their plate with without any kind of mandate that they have to eat it, um, I think all of that goes somewhere, and you know there's a lot of research backing that up as well. But um, I just read the most interesting thing about this um, this woman I can't remember her name in England who did a study called um, uh, it was she came up with this kind of picky eating solution called tiny tastes where she took. Um, you know, kids who are really picky about vegetables, she took it out of the dinner equation. So she would just, I think it was overwhelming for kids to see a pile of cucumbers on their plate or a pile of broccoli or a pile of peppers. And so instead there, she just picked the times during the day where um, she would just say, here's three pieces of pepper, you know, tiny, tiny little dice pieces of pepper, and they could take it or they couldn't. And I think kind of divorcing it from the dinner table. The drama. Was, yeah, no, that's a good know, idea. And she yeah. had remarkable results. So I I don't know. I'd be curious to see if that worked with a lot of these kids. Um, but, you know, it's all sort of, I, I think it's the same thing, just exposure, just showing it to them over and over. And, you know, because they're bombarded with these messages, you know, to eat the other kinds of foods all the time. So why wouldn't we try to sort of just put that kind of food in front of them as much as possible? So, you know, until we have, you know, big food companies marketing vegetables on, you know, sp- Spongebob. <laughs> <And> I <think laughs> red Spongebob, red peppers. peppers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what we have to go against.
0: Oh my God! So when I was growing up, my mother would often say, I don't mind cooking dinner. It's deciding what to cook that's the hard part. And oh, yeah. she, she might as well have been speaking Swahili. I just had no idea what she was talking about. Until I had a family of my own, and then I'm like, oh, just tell me what to make. I'm happy to make it, and so I feel your book really breaks down the conundrum, or at least simplifies it somewhat.
2: Yes, I think there's that's one step is tell me what to make. I mean, I, I think uh, aside from just taking the think work out of it for whoever the cook is in the house, it also just kind of sends the signal that you're not the only one thinking about it, you know, I think it's also, you know, people always say, well, what if I, my spouse doesn't know how to cook, you know, how do I, how does, you know, then it's all on me. And, you know, unfortunately, it usually is. But I always say there's so many (laughs) different ways to make to, you know, there's making dinner, and then there's making dinner happen. And I think picking the meal is one huge part of making dinner happen, in addition to, you know, setting the table, doing the dishes, doing the shopping, um, just, you know, various kind of other duties around the table that aren't exactly cooking, but are are certainly helping uh, to get a meal on the table.
0: Yeah, I was so delighted. I finally realized that when I'm driving my kids to school and I know I'm going to, you know, Trader Joe's right after I drop them off, I'm like, oh, I could ask them what they want for dinner.
2: Yeah. And
0: you know, and sure enough, sometimes I veto, I'm thinking, well, we just had that last Thursday. I'm not going to make it again. But I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't
2: made that recently. <laughs> Let me
0: <laughs> Google the ingredients for that so I can, can pick it up. So
2: yes, no, it's really helpful to have someone else come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I have, I wrote like, how many blog posts on dinner? Probably 850. And every single night, I'm like the same. I'm like every other parent. It's tabula rasa. Totally, totally blank mind. What, am I, what on earth am I making for dinner tonight? I have no idea. So, um, you know, the good news is that I have, I, I'm used to sort of approaching the refrigerator that way. So i you know, I know how to exercise those muscles, but, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so helpful when you have someone just telling you what to make. I love that.
1: That's great. So you have a um, a list on your blog, um, as you call it, dinner a love story, or as you call it, as you mentioned earlier. You I call guess. it this thing, yes, <laughs> um, of 100 rules of dinner, um, 50 from you, and then 50 from your husband. So what are your top three rules for making dinner, and would they differ from your husband's, would you say?
2: Oh, my God. I have not looked at that list in a long time, but I mean, I think, you know, we both had on that list... Um, just, I think, add more salt to the water <laughs> when you're boiling <laughs> pasta. He might have had it three times on his on his list. Um, um, oh my God, that's a hard question. But I think you know, it's like. Um, uh, those were very kind of technical, like. They were know. okay. Um, well, the other
1: thing, Jenny, and I, and I want to just back up, and I was gonna, going to, and maybe this can fold into a rule, but I mean, so you did have thirty days, but then at some point in the book you, re- you revised and you said twenty days, five days a week, and then you can kind of be off the hook for two, whether that means, you know, going out to eat or grabbing a pizza or having, you know, peanut butter and jelly or whatever, or cereal, whatever it is. Um, and I liked that a lot, like, again, and we've talked about this a lot, but I just, I just want to like drive that point home. It's like, okay, 30 straight days. That feels like a lot. But in fact, if you can just say, okay, five days a week or four days a week, like you said, just cook at home more days than off more than not. Right. Right.
2: Right. I totally. Yes. I mean, I think a lot of people were, were sort of they looked at me like I was crazy when I told them I was doing 30 straight days and I just felt like that's what I needed and um I just say I mean I think the important part is to know what would work in your family and to force yourself to kind of I think it's important to sort of do it what however many days you choose to do it in a row just to get to to get in that you know to get yourself in shape I mean it's really like getting yourself into that mindset where you're not waiting for the stars to align you know I made an analogy in the book about how you know if you're teaching yourself how to make dinner only when it works out in terms of timing then it's like you know preparing for the white water rafting trip in the town pool you know in an inner tube so you know you yeah. have to sort of embrace that chaos because no you know every family knows that It's not, it's not a nice simple afternoon where everyone walks in the door at five and you, you know, you have nothing to do, but dream up wonderful ways to, you know, present the Brussels sprouts. And it's, it's not like that. I, unfortunately, I wish it was, um, and it, and it sometimes is, you know, on like a Sunday, you know, I always say, this is another point, but for families who are looking for a place to start, starting with Sunday dinner is the best thing you can do because it's such a, it's such a nice ritual and, and there's a lot of romance around it. You know, you actually have time to think about it and dinner becomes more than just the meal in front of you. It becomes sort of a process and hopefully the kids can be around hanging out and helping. And it's, it's just a nice vibe. So, so that's another tip just so I can squeeze in there. If possible. Sure, yeah. Awesome. Hey, wait, one more question. What's for dinner tonight? Oh, I think I'm actually having um, that. Did I mention the pasta with sausage and broccoli? I think that's what I'm going to do. So, I'm gonna my my pasta hater will not have the pasta, but she'll have the broccoli and sausage, which is fine. Well
0: well thank you so much, Jenny. I just feel like now I wanna, you know, end this podcast and go up and start prepping dinner. So (laughs)
2: that's the idea. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. That was fun.
0: Yeah, this was very fun. Thanks, Jenny. Sure. Tim, what do you think? You're inspired to do some cooking now?
1: Oh, yes. I'm always, I always get start off with the best of intention. I mean, I cook, I cook a lot for Grant and I. I just don't cook for my kids. Um, but it's just, I think that prepping early is a good idea because um, then they can't see it too. That's the other thing. <laughs> I mean, it becomes this like stealth maneuver around here, right? And then, and then, I mean, then we run into sports. I mean, you know, Ben has, um, He's coming into basketball season. He has it three nights a week. I mean, that's a lot. Um, And it's, you know, from 6 to 7.30. Like, that's prime dinner hours. I can't send him to basketball without something in his stomach. I know that's not going to work. So he has, you know, a peanut butter and jelly and some fruit and some carrots and some string cheese and heads off. And then, you know, and then I just have Amelia, who's the pickiest to feed, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it's just easier to you know, makes more pasta. Thank God, my kids. She likes pasta and eggs, so I got that going for Yeah, right,
0: right, right, right. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Because Daphne has soccer from six to seven thirty, and um, oh my gosh, she's lucky if I throw a bar at her before she goes to practice. Oh, really? So
1: she comes home and eats dinner after,
0: huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, we didn't. Uh, I uh, chatted with some other parents when I was picking Daphne up. Usually, Jack picks Daphne up, and then I have dinner ready. You know, the moment they walk in the door, and the field is you know, seven minutes away or something. And, um, but no, I, Jack was out at a meeting. So I, and I talked to some parents and well, I don't think we sat down for dinner until eight o'clock. I'm like, yeah. Oh yes. Here in Madrid, Oregon, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. pass me the wine Never pass it to Phoebe, right? <laughs> right. Have
1: a have some, drink.
0: Yeah, have some, some, uh, you know, cerveza. I mean, or, you know, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, but you know, we were of course done by eight cause it doesn't take us very long to eat, but, um, Anyway, no, I'm definitely feeling fired up. And I um, when I first got Dinner of the Playbook, I took it to soccer practice and, well, I um, dropped – Phoebe and John off. They practice the same field, and so I was just like, you talked about folding down the pages of the book. I'm like, oh, I want to cook that recipe. I want to cook that recipe, that recipe, and so you know, it's like, oh, I think I have more pages folded down than not folded down.
1: That's a sign of a good book. Yes, That's a sign of a good book. Yes. and I, I feel I, I can totally condone folding down pages. I know people are like, oh, don't hurt the books, and I'm like, you know what? They're they're meant to be loved. Like when someone brings us a copy of Train Like a Mother and they've scribbled all over it and they've written notes and they in the you know in the side in the the Spine. margins or mm-hmm. in the, um, in the covers. I mean, I just, I love that. I'm like, Oh, it's been used. It's been loved. It's not just, you know, collecting dust on the shelves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So well, let's head on over to the challenge corner. Um, do, 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 do. Trip, drop, trip, top. Here we go.
1: We are, um, we've got a great race report here from Michelle N who was in the run race half marathon challenge. Um, and her race report comes in with this jubilant first sentence. I ran my first half marathon, so no matter what else comes from this, Michelle, and we've got, we got a nice description, but congrats on getting it done. Um, she said, so weeks 10, 11, and 12 of training got derailed by a minor ankle sprain. I missed two or three long runs, and my longest run was 12 miles. During those weeks, I got in a few runs, but ultimately had to take an entire week off. When I picked up at week 13, running just felt more difficult. When race day day came around, I knew I'd finish, but I didn't know how I'd feel during the race. I didn't feel super confident, and some things didn't go as planned. The gels I trained with, which my stomach always got along with, made me nauseous during the half. Fluids made me queasy, too. The feeling only lasted a minute or two each time, but it was unpleasant. Around mile eight, my legs started to feel a little heavy, and I suddenly found myself wondering why I thought this was a good idea. I felt an urge to quit and even felt on the verge of tears, but that passed. Almost all of mile 11 was uphill, and even though it wasn't steep, it was brutal on tired legs. Sorry, I'm not laughing at you. It was like everything kind of came off the bus a mile later, so I'm sorry about that. My legs began cramping in mile 12, and I had to walk more than planned and had to stop once to stretch.
0: And so I have to, and now I'll finish reading the rest of it. But I love <laughs> the reason I had a switch here is because it's like uh, you know, it's suddenly this next sentence changes everything. Jekyll and hide. Because <laughs> we'll
1: read read the next sentence.
0: Mostly everything went very well. Exclamation point. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait. <laughs> um I thought the minus the nausea, the goo, the cramping, <laughs> yeah. the walking up the hill. Right, right. So uh, so yes, yeah, so she continues. Mostly everything went very well. I focused on holding back at the start, staying at a slow, comfortable pace so I wouldn't burn out right away, which I tend to do. I found the 2.30 pace group and planned to stay behind them. This worked out well for me, helping me keep a steady pace. When I started to catch up to them, I knew I needed to slow down. I managed to dress perfectly for the weather so I didn't get overheated. The scenery was beautiful, and during parts of the race, I got to enjoy the sound of ocean waves. Despite the pain and fatigue, I had a blast. I finished! And a bonus, I finished much, much faster than I expected to. I went in expecting not to finish before 2.40 or 2.45, but my finish time was 2.31.04. love that preciseness. After my first 5K race, not even a year ago, I knew I wanted to do a 10K. I could already run five miles, so why not? So I signed up for the No Limits 10K Challenge, which that was one of our earlier challenges. The training plan and the support and encouragement from all the wonderful Bammers gave me confidence, held me accountable, and led me to a strong finish. By the end of that challenge, I felt confident enough to consider a half. And during Find Your Strong, all the support from this group helped so much when I faced the daunting long runs. The training plan was perfect for easing me into distances I wasn't sure I could run and for giving me confidence about my fitness. Ladies, when I started running just over a year and a half ago, I struggled to run for 15 seconds at a time. Yesterday, I finished a half marathon. I can't find the words to tell you how good this feels. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh,
1: That's all. I mean, yeah. So obviously, She's a real runner because she has some perspective, but then she can really focus on like the really like natty, annoying details of a race. <laughs> like she's <laughs> she's definitely got the runner's mentality, like, look what I can do. But in fact, this is what went wrong. So that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good job. Well, and the song that we picked um, is one actually that my daughter Amelia is loving right now. It's called Good to Be Alive. Hallelujah by Andy Grammer. Oh, I know. And I might just have felt a little nauseous hearing it again if I'm listening to this podcast because we've pretty much had that song on repeat, I mean, honestly, this whole week. Like, Ben's like, not again, Amelia, not again, turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) Good to be alive right about now.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, Dimity, listening to you do read that Challenge Corner, I was so transported to some of our parties when we read from our books, and there's just a wonderful tempo to your voice and the way you phrase things. And I'm like, oh, it's like listening to Dimity read from, you know, Tales from Another Mother Runner or Run Like a Mother. So um, if people want to hear you read more, um, you will be partying in Nashville next week. on Woohoo! Yeah. Um, you're going to be at Fleet Feet Brentwood on Thursday, November 5th from 7 to 9 p.m. And then also you are going to be sticking around Nashville for a few more days. Uh, you're going to be have a table at the inaugural Zuma Nashville Half Marathon that weekend. And yeah, and
1: I, I need to know. So party's on a Thursday night, and the expo isn't until Saturday. So we have Friday. Denise, who is going with me, and I have Friday to do... I know. whatever we want. I'm like, wow, free time on a mother runner trip. I, this is unheard of. So I've already kind of planned. We're going to sleep in for sure. Or I'm going to sleep in. I, I can't speak for Denise. Right. No, sleeping. Denise, stay in bed. <laughs> you must. I'm gonna, um, and then I'll get up and run, of course. And then uh, if you have any suggestions about where to go, hit me up at um, Dimity on the Run on Twitter or on our Facebook page, just so, um, you know, or any suggestions on where to run cuz we've got t- I can drive for half an hour to go to a beautiful run. It's not it's not
0: that like got to go got to go got to go. <laughs> yeah, run right near the <laughs> hotel on a on haven't. a frontage road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so um so I'm excited. So we hope to see you in Nashville if that's a possibility for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so uh, please tell people the URL on our website where they can find all the events and where they can RSVP to the party.
1: Um, well, it's at anothermotherrunner.com. And then right at the bottom, it says, join us or join the tribe, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and that's that t- will take you right to our events page.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So, and um, while you're on that wonderful internet, um, be sure to visit our online store before trick-or-treating as we're offering free domestic shipping through Halloween. Go to motherrunnerstore.com to shop sassy lifestyle tees, cozy and cute sweatshirts, hip trucker hats, and more. Again, that's motherrunnerstore.com, and the
1: code pops up when you um, yes, when you open up the store. So just so you, you don't have to re- remember it.
0: Yes, but I will say, as long as we're talking about it, BAMR shipping. So, but yes, a, a pop up comes up, and um, I just always jot it down on a piece of paper near me. I shop and then fill it in at checkout. All right. Whether you're tricking or treating this weekend, many happy miles to you. Boo!